I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, tonight we have a packed house of guests here to talk about various aspects of social responsibility. Johnny Scandros, one of the two founders of the popular gay dating app Scruff, begins by sharing the company's new Benevolads program that supports LGBT nonprofits. And then Jennifer Gibson and Brian McKinnon from Morgan Stanley Wealth Management are here to talk about social responsibly investing. And then finally, we'll be talking with Douglas Goss and Shannon Webb Campbell, two of the authors of the new book called Out Proud, Stories of Courage and Social Justice. All of this is coming up right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, September 28th, 2014. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. The Roman Catholic Church may frown on divorce for heterosexual couples, but Catholic officials in Montana have told a gay couple they must divorce if they are to have their church privileges restored. The Billings Gazette reported in August that Rev. Samuel Spearing, the new pastor of St. Leo, the great Catholic Church of Lewiston, and Bishop Michael Warfel, leader of the Catholic Diocese of Great Falls Billings, told Paul Huff and Tom Wahotowick that they could no longer volunteer at the church or receive communion because they had married in Seattle in 2013. The couple had just returned from a trip and had not yet met Spearing previously. The clergy members told the couple that to have their privileges restored, the men would have to sign a statement supporting the concept of marriage as a union of a man and a woman, which they were willing to do, and pledge to get a divorce and cease living together, which they were not. Huff, 73, and Wahodawick, 66, have been in a committed relationship for more than 30 years and have attended St. Leo the Great since 2003 when they moved to Lewiston from Seattle. Both have sung in the church choir, and Wahodawick has served as an organist, but they can no longer participate in these activities. Both are lifelong Catholics. Warfel said, As a Catholic bishop, I have a responsibility to uphold the teachings of marriage between one man and one woman. He added, And I think there's a very solid spiritual teaching on it, and our sacred tradition is very strong on it. Either I uphold what Catholic teachings are, or by ignoring it or permitting it, I'm saying I disagree with what I'm ordained to uphold. And earlier this month on Outbeat News, we told you about another couple, two women from Iowa, who got married after being together 72 years. I happened to look up and she was coming out to meet some friends and of course, I didn't know her at all. She didn't know me. She paid absolutely no attention to me. And uh, I looked at her and I saw how she was dressed and everything. And it's just one of those things. You know how they always talk about the, the uh, people who fall in love with their wife or husband or whatever on first notice or, you know, first viewing. And uh, so it happened with me, I guess. Well, you have to tell how you got there. How I made you go. You did want to go. I was working on schoolwork, and I was a dedicated teacher, and I always had schoolwork to do. And she insisted I go, and I finally relented and went. And then I won the $40. <laughs> and I, we, I put it in a war bond, and when we bought our house, why? Well, we cashed the war bond and other war bonds and bought the furniture for our house. Well, we had to keep our relationship quiet, of course. I used to go out to their house on the weekends. I'd ride out with her sister on the school bus on Friday night. And then I guess she must have brought me back in on Sunday or something. I don't remember. I remember that part. And of course, that was all the together time we had. (laughs) And we didn't realize it was five years ago. It's been, time goes very fast, 20 year old. And uh, we, Don't talked, look at me. we talked about it when it was passed, the law in Iowa was passed. We talked about it. We didn't know whether we wanted to do it and well, we were open scared. it out to the whole world, which it has. Yeah, we were scared about it. Yeah, we were scared. Are you? And we said yes. And she said, how long have you been together? And we told her, it was 70 years at that time. And she about went through the ceiling. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
she kept saying. She was so excited. And she went down to the teacher or to teachers back at school. Went down to the caregivers where they ate and just told them all. <laughs> and all and they everybody knew. <laughs> so it wasn't any secret anymore. He said he thought it all the time, but he didn't know for sure. And he asked us, and we said yes. And uh, he was excited too. And uh, so he said, you should get married. And Lisa said, you should get married. And we said, oh no, we didn't want to get all that. Didn't want to be that public, you know. And, uh, and it just kept rolling from then. It was like a snowball. Just, just rolled and kept getting bigger. Somebody she said, she yelled at me last night for something. I said, we're so tired. And I said, now don't you start yelling at me now that we're married. <laughs> and that comment said, um, oh, they'll be divorced in a week. Yeah, somebody on TV, on the, in the paper said, oh, they'll be divorced in a week. Can you imagine a week any different than after 70? Well, there is a diff. I guess the only difference is that we just... No, it's legal and nobody can do anything about it. No. Yeah. We've always been married in our hearts. Tomorrow, the United States Supreme Court will meet to conference about marriage equality cases appealed to the high court from around the country. With some 40 cases favoring marriage equality from lower courts, experts say the Supreme Court justices may not quite be ready to take on marriage equality until more district courts of appeal around the country weigh in. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has yet to rule on their recent review of a case from Nevada. Meanwhile, decisions favoring marriage equality remain stayed, and same-sex couples in those regions continue to be denied the right to marry, despite the favorable rulings. A gay teen who was allegedly forced to wear a homophobic name tag while working at the fast food chain Taco John's is now brandishing that very same name tag in a call for awareness and change. Tyler Brandt, a 16-year-old from South Dakota, resigned from his position at Taco John's in Yankton in June after his manager allegedly made him wear a name tag reading Gaytard. Although the manager at the eatery claimed the incident was a joke that Brandt went along with it, Brandt tells a very different story. He said, It wasn't my idea. I never thought it was funny. It's a mean, ugly word that makes fun of both gay people and people with developmental disabilities, and I would never call myself a name like that. The ACLU filed a discrimination charge this last Tuesday on Brandt's behalf with the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission and the South Dakota Department of Labor. The group claims Taco John's violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, legislation that prohibits discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin, as well as the South Dakota Human Rights Act. And here locally, the Sonoma County Commission on Human Rights LGBTQI Task Force met this last Wednesday to talk about a study they will eventually present to the Sonoma County Board of Supervisors. Over the coming nine months, the LGBTQI Task Force will collect information from all parts of the county in order to develop recommendations that the full commission will review and forward to the Board of Supervisors as appropriate. The objectives outlined in the task force study will take considerable effort and require participation from many parts of our community. Task Force Commissioner Kevin Jones said, As a large, diverse, and well-integrated community, it's important that the LGBTQI community does not take our inclusion for granted. The ultimate hope for this task force is to ensure that Sonoma County is intentional in including the LGBTQI community in its policies, programs, and data, and that any parts of our community which might be suffering from fear or isolation have access to having its issues addressed effectively. Sonoma County is home to one of the highest per capita populations of LGBTQI persons in the country. As residents of California, the community enjoys some of the most progressive legal protections anywhere, thanks to state laws that specifically include sexual orientation and gender identity and expression in its non-discrimination statutes. Many LGBTQI residents find their lives well integrated into the day-to-day -day reality of Sonoma County, work and social activities. The LGBTQI community in Sonoma County is very broad, reflecting the county's population as a whole. It includes the age, race, cultural aspects, religious, and socioeconomic diversity of who we are. The LGBTQI community in Sonoma County is also very fragmented. Despite its numbers, the community's voice is not well represented in policymaking, 
and while a few groups provide social forums for networking, they are not readily accessible to all members of the community. LGBTQI youth, economically disadvantaged individuals, people in the healthcare system, elders, culturally isolated people, and closeted or those covering themselves have few avenues for connecting with the community as a whole. The task force was formed to create a conversation with LGBTQI leaders and community representatives to discuss the ways in which the community can be better served and better represented. We hope to have the task force on with us for a conversation about its efforts on the November edition of Outbeat Extra. Now here's your calendar events for the coming week. On Monday, September 29th and every Monday at 5.30 p.m., the Petaluma Health Center will host an LGBT support group at 1179 North McDowell Boulevard in Petaluma. And on Sunday, October 5th from 1 to 5 p.m., Calabash, a celebration of gourds, arts, and the garden will take place at Food for Thought, Sonoma County AIDS Food Bank in Forestville. Guests at Calabash enjoy a sumptuous array of food and wine from Sonoma County's Bountiful Harvest with live music played on handmade gourd instruments. The event will also feature a sale of selected garden art and an exclusive selection of Food for Thought antiques. Tickets are $45 before the event, $50 at the door. You can learn more by calling 707-887-1647. And of course, all money's raids at Calabash will benefit Food for Thought, which provides comprehensive nutrition and other services free of charge to 700 men, women, and children affected by HIV-AIDS in Sonoma County. For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. If you have news or event you'd like to share with our listeners, be sure to tell us about it by going to our own website at OutBeatNews.com. Follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Tonight we have three sets of guests who all have different examples of how to exercise social responsibility in the pursuit of social justice. And our first guest is Johnny Scandros. He's one of the two founders of the popular gay dating app Scruff. This month, Scruff launched a new ad campaign to support LGBT grassroots organizations funded entirely by Scruff. And here to tell us all about it is Mr. Johnny Scandros. Johnny, welcome to Outbeat News In Depth. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, it's very exciting to have you here. Uh, start out by telling us a little about Scruff. How did it come to be? Sure. Um, I've told this story many times, so excited to tell it again. Um, Scruff came about when my friend Eric and I wanted to create a gay dating app, and this was in 2010. Um, I had noticed this scruffier side to gay culture in, in, in New York City, and so I thought, hmm, Scruff would be a great name that many guys could relate to. Um, you know, and again, it was also this, this, this scruffier side I was seeing. And so with uh, the bear community already existing um, and this new kind of emergence of scruffiness, uh, it just uh, it, it, it took off. So um, I've run the marketing side of the company and the social side, and Eric runs the, the business and tech side. Great. So it's just the two of you that did all this. It was the two of us in the beginning wearing many, 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 many hats. <laughs> so uh, now we are much bigger. Um, we have a, a full staff in New York City. There's about six of us and then so, uh, several more around the country. Wow. And so from just the two of you, this idea grew. And I think I read you've got something like 7 million users worldwide. Yeah. So we, we have this year hit 7 million members worldwide, uh, which is really, really, really exciting. Um, and you know, we I, we really didn't think it would become that big. So so to become that big, it's just it's it's amazing. Fantastic. Talk a little bit about what sets Scruff apart from some of the other online dating apps that are out there. Sure. You know, I can I can talk about um, a bit of our demographics. Um, so look, like I said, over the four years, we've seen tremendous growth. Uh, fifty million men, uh, fifty million messages are actually exchanged on Scruff per week. So that keeps our servers really really busy. Um, in terms of the community, uh, the Bear community adopted us in the beginning, but we're much more diverse now. We were the first app to add a transgender community and also a military community. So, uh -huh. for example, we sponsor an event in D.C. called uh, Dining for Dollars, uh, and that goes to the LGBT Fallen Heroes, uh, Fallen Heroes Fund. Uh -huh. So it's, it's a fundraiser for LGBT firefighters, police, 
um, and military that have given their lives uh, uh, to service. So that's something we do sponsor every year. Um, what else? You know, on another another note, we hear how friendly friendlier Scruff is compared to other apps. The, mm -hmm. the Scruff community. It's always great to hear. Uh, yeah. Wow. And, and obviously, you know, you have to make money to pay for the servers and everything else, but the apps are still free, right? Uh, the app is free, so we are a freemium service. Um, our premium version, which is Scruff Pro, uh, that gives members access to more features, such okay. as uh, more guides in the nearby grid, more photo options, uh, uh, video messaging, favorites folders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we've worked really hard to build a lot of features uh, for the pro version. But the, yeah, the bulk of the revenue really doesn't come from the ads. Uh, however, the ads do bring in revenue. So um, for example, Smato is one of our mobile ad providers, mm -hmm. uh, and they service ads on Scruff. But we don't do direct sales like some other apps do. Oh, also, you know, with events, I think, I think there's a misconception. People think we also make money from events, and we don't. Scruff events are just really on our own dime. And it's, it's a way to give, one of the ways to give back to the community. Um, they also bring in record crowds, so it's usually really great for the, for the venue. Mm -hmm. Well, and clearly one of the other things that sets you apart, at least in my mind, from some of the other apps that I've seen, is this new program you have called Benevolads. Yes. Where you're supporting LGBT nonprofits. Talk about where this idea came from and tell us about it. Sure. Um, so Benevolads. Part of the idea came really from our members. Uh, people would reach out really on a daily basis, wanting to promote events. Uh, gay, gay sports leagues would reach out, wanting to uh, promote uh, their league. Uh, many, many health and HIV testing campaigns wanted to run ads. And so this is really a way we can say yes to everybody. Um, we spent the past year, engineer, engineering team, Eric and uh, several other engineers, uh, spent the past year building this tool. Um, and so we are donating a percentage of our ad space, uh, which will be worth a million dollars uh, to nonprofits and nonprofits that benefit the LGBT community. Wow. Um, and you know what, what really one of the things that makes it, makes this special is it's the first self-service platform. So organizations can manage their ad campaigns through this tool. Um, and it's great. It, it will allow these organizations to really connect with our members um, on a local level. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give you an example. If an LGBT center in Chicago wants to run a benevolent ad on Scruff, they will be able to run the ad uh, to members in the Chicago area. So, so it's, it's, it's great. Um, and it's totally free, um, com completely, completely free. We don't even get a tax write-off for it. So this is like entirely for the community. <laughs> wow. And yeah. so where will users see these ads? Just kind of walk us through, if folks aren't familiar with how the online app works, where sure. will these ads pop up and, and then how can they drill down to the ad? Sure. So uh, users, users will see a Benevol ad in the same place that current ads are on the screen. Um, if the member taps on the Benevol ad, they will be greeted with a pop-up notification and that will have a more detailed a description of the organization. Uh, they're a little prettier than ads are, uh, the regular ads are on, on the site now. Uh, they have a little S, a little scruff S in the corner. Um, and the pop-ups look, I think, really, the design is really, really nice. And that's, you know, kudos to our engineering team. So how does a nonprofit get involved in it? Is there some criteria that they have to meet? And, and then how do they submit an application? Sure. So scruff.com slash advertise is where they can sign up. And we've made it, we've tried to make it very, very simple for everyone to get involved. Um, uh, there are several steps they'll have to follow on the site. Um, the name of their organization. They also, uh, the name of their organization and a description of their organization. They have to have a 5013C status. Um, however, some, some really, some don't need to, like a gay sports league. So... Mm -hmm. That's that's it. It's fairly fairly straightforward, and you know we think it's just a, it's a very the, the tool is very easy to use. It's mm -hmm. it's it's you, you you submit submit your organization, and then you're able to track your ads and even see the donation that Scruff's given you. So um, it's really cool. Yeah, and, and I I can attest to that personally. I run a, a small nonprofit that does scholarships for uh, law enforcement students, and when I saw mm -hmm. that, I I went right to it and and submitted our our nonprofit. Uh, and it was very, very quick, very, very easy mm -hmm. to use. And I think the, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, the, 
the software behind it in terms of being able to design ads and then select some specific markets that make sense for you was very, yes. very easy to do. Yes. I was, yes. frankly, thoroughly impressed with it. Um, and and <laughs> yep. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah, me too. Are you aware of some of the other nonprofits that have gotten involved so far? I mean, this is still pretty new. Um, it's still pretty new. We've had 300, maybe more now. I, the, I last looked two days ago, 300 organizations sign up already. Ah, so that's fantastic. that's amazing. Housing Works, um, HRC is starting to uh, run some campaigns. Um, uh, yeah, I, so I'm going to take a look today, but I know it was over 300. Yeah. So how but, cool is that? It's just, a, you know, what it's... A, an, it's interesting because some people question it. They're like, oh, this must be another way for Scruff to make money. It's like, no, guys, this is this is entirely for the community, entirely for the community. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I really want you guys to see – I really want people to see that. Um, I think it's hard for people to believe, um, but it is 100 percent true. This is this is to give back and for, for all these nonprofits. Well, it's, it's great, and there are so many grassroots-level nonprofits that really struggle. And so to have yeah. an opportunity to get some visibility on an international platform I think is, is very unique. Uh, well, and thank I, you. And I applaud you for that. Uh, thank you. Talk about what your hopes are as you look out. I mean, obviously, it's already been very, very successful, and it's becoming more successful. What are your hopes for the initiative? And I mean, the as you look out, ads, yeah. you're, you're investing a million dollars a year uh, in donated ads. Mm -hmm. uh, as you look out, let's say, a year or two from now, what are you hoping to yeah. see happen? Yeah, look, I, this really is, Benevol Ads is an extension of our core mission, um, which is connecting guys to one another and to the global gay community. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping this, this will, if, if every nonprofit that benefits the LGBT, that works with the LGBT community can run an ad, great. Um, you know, it's also, I'm hoping that it will empower our members. Um, this will allow our members to connect with these organizations um, and that will hopefully hopefully lead for them to help make a difference you know in their own community it's great uh, let's shift gears a little bit uh, okay. you know online dating apps certainly have become very very popular I mean I can mm -hmm. I can go to a gay bar in the Castro and it's fascinating to me to watch and see all these guys sitting around not talking to each other but engrossed in their phones mm -hmm. you know looking to connect yeah with the guys that are sitting around them it's, it's really interesting yeah. Uh, but we've also had some stories here in the Bay Area of guys who have fallen prey to being victimized, uh, mm -hmm. set up, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. with an online hookup. Talk mm -hmm. about your perspective about good, safe use of, of online dating apps. Give us, our listeners, some advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, look, this is a very serious issue. Um, you know, this has been an issue, I mean, really since people started meeting uh, in newspaper ads, right, decades ago. So... You know, when meeting a stranger off any site, people really need to be safe and, and smart when you meet in person, and you should probably meet in a public place. I mean, that just, it goes without saying. That's the safest way. Um, you know, Scruff, we, I can tell you, we've struck a partnership with ILGA, which is a nonprofit that publishes an annual report of gay and lesbian rights worldwide. So coming this fall, when a member travels to a country included in this ILGA report, and they launch Scruff, uh, they will get an alert of all the local news and prohibitions uh, on homosexuality. So hopefully by increasing awareness of these laws, uh, this will keep our members vigilant. Um, wow. that, you know, and that's, that's coming that's, out soon. So yeah, we've been, we've been at work at that. So very exciting. We're very, very excited to, to launch that. And that's a whole other piece that really I hadn't even considered. Uh, you know, you're obviously at a, an international app. Uh, and there are so many countries, I just read about G Gambia this morning, that passed a law that's now uh, passing life sentences on for engaging in homosexuality or yeah. homosexual acts. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's a whole other risk for users traveling abroad that I hadn't even thought about. A huge, huge risk. And so that's why we partnered with, with this organization. And do you have, yeah. if, if a user encounters someone who is trying to set them up on there is there a way for a user to report that person or that account to you where they can be removed absolutely so um we so we we take bullying harassment very 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 seriously on scruff um i can tell you every single flag is investigated by a scruff team member uh, within 48 hours so that's fast and and actually that really makes us an industry leader so um all reports are investigated. 
Yeah, it's we take that very, very, very seriously. Fantastic. Tell us again one more time where people can go to learn more about Scruff, the app, and the mm-hmm. Benevol ads. All right. So people can visit scruff.com with all the links to our app store pages and social media. And scruff.com slash advertise will take you to Benevol ads. Excellent. We've been talking with one of the founders of Scruff, an online dating app, Johnny Scandros. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. And we'll be back with more right after this. There are more than 2,000 people living with HIV and AIDS in Sonoma County. 500 of them don't know they have it, so neither do their partners. If you've ever suspected you've been exposed to HIV and want to know whether you're carrying the virus that could lead to AIDS, there's a place you can be tested for free, confidentially, and anonymously with results in just 20 minutes. Call face-to-face at 544-1581 or visit f2f.org. We want you to know your status. Our next guests come to us from Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Jennifer Gibson and Brian McKinnon are with us to talk about socially responsible investments. Now that the economy is recovering steadily and people are getting back into the stock market, there's a lot of interest out there in making sure the companies that we invest in are pro-LGBT. So here to tell us more about that idea and how Morgan Stanley Wealth Management is using the HRC Corporate Equality Index are Jennifer Gibson and Brian McKinnon. Welcome to both of you. Thanks. It's great to hear. be here. Thanks for having us. Well, this is such an important topic, particularly as people get back into the stock market and begin to really focus on preparing for retirement. But tell us exactly what is socially responsible investing? Socially responsible investing is an investment strategy that really seeks to align an individual's values with what they're doing and with their investment strategy. And so really it can be a push for social change in certain levels, but it also is just really making people feel good about what they're doing with their money, essentially. So are there different ways to invest in a socially responsible way, or is there sort of one prescribed formula? Basically, within this realm, you see a couple of different ways. So the first way might be something like community investing. This is something like, you know, where an investor invests in their own community. It could be something like microfinancing, where they put money in so that loans are given out to small businesses in the area. Um, This is more common in other countries, but you do see it. Mm -hmm. There's also shareholder advocacy. So that is essentially buying into a company and using your rights as a shareholder to really influence their um, company policies so that... Basically, your values are aligned with what they're doing as a whole. And the third way is really what we do, which is really investing in companies that promote the values that you that an investor believes in. Mm-hmm. So for the LGBT community, uh, can you give us some examples of what that might look like? Yeah. So in the LGBT community, um, there are several ways this can be utilized. But really, I think what it comes down to is really finding... Um, companies that, again, are aligned with an individual's values. So that's probably, you know, what that means for us when we work with our clients is companies that promote LGBT equality. And so one of the um, indexes that we really use is something called the Corporate Equality Index. And what this really is is it's something that was developed by the Human Rights Campaign, which I think probably many listeners are familiar with. Um, And really what it is is it's an index that really rates companies um, in the United States based on how they're doing in the promotion of LGBT rights. So using an index like that, let's say, for example, there's a company in Russia or Africa or in another country that truly persecutes LGBT people. I would imagine that an index like that would exclude a company based in one of those countries from coming up and potentially being included in 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 an investment portfolio, right? Right. So these are companies that are really volunteering to be rated on this index. This index is going to look at a couple factors. It's going to look at companies that have sexual orientation and gender identity, uh, non-discrimination policies and protections in place in all of their operations, and actually this would include global operations. So if that company was based, let's say, um, in Africa and did have, or in the U.S. and had operations in Africa, this, this could be included here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other... The other options is that also this index also requires that U.S. contractors abide by the company's existing non-discrimination policies wherever they are operating. So talk about the quality of these investments. I mean, the companies that are LGBT-friendly, pro-LGBT, and that have LGBT-inclusive policies, do they end up being good financial investments in the end? So 
Well, I think, Greg, the first thing that we'd want to point out as advisors is we want to make sure that as your listeners talk about this topic and, and look at potentially deploying money in a strategy that is uh, pro-LGBT, we want to make sure that they understand the risks of investments. We want to make sure that, first and foremost, they can tolerate the risks of, of equity or stock investing. But once the consumer is comfortable with the idea that they can tolerate the risk of investing in the capital markets, we think that right now the corporate equality index or companies that have passed the corporate equality index are fairly vast in their scope. So they diverse, they're diversified by sector, they're diversified by industry. So we can create a portfolio that's going to work in line with the larger indexes. So we're very comfortable being able to create a portfolio that would be pro-LGBT, but also would be diversified and ultimately we think could serve the client well in terms of a long-term investment strategy. Well, I know I just engaged a financial planner to help me look at you know long-term investing uh, for retirement. And I'm glad I did that because that just is not something that's in my wheelhouse. I, I just don't even have any interest in trying to explore the stock market or make any of those decisions on my own. But how aware is the average financial planner about things like the HRC Corporate Equality Index and socially responsible investing? Uh, how knowledgeable is someone, typically, about pro-LGBT investments? Or is this really a specialty that you should look to a particular firm for? I think awareness is increasing. I think as an industry, we absolutely recognize that there's a unique set of needs that face the community. Mm -hmm. And I think all firms are working towards being able to deliver and address all of those needs. Uh, So I think that it's increasing. I think what we do see is an uptick in the amount of seminars and programs that are geared towards pro-LGBT strategies. Mm -hmm. I think as an industry, we're getting there. So talk a little bit about how to get started then. If one of our listeners wants to become more active in socially responsible investing, where do they go? Uh, how do they get started in, in this? I think the first foremost thing is to sit down with some advisors and, and really find an advisor that you feel comfortable talking with and you feel like you can work with in the long term. Your first instinct in, in uh, ultimately sorting out advisors is probably your best instinct. You know, an advisor needs to be a silent partner in your financial future. So you do want to make sure that you have a good advisor, someone who will listen to you, someone that will explain things in a way that you can understand them. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, I think it's very important to express your risk tolerances, uh, the different things that are important to you so that the advisor knows that you're looking for a pro-LGBT portfolio as, as part of your overall holdings. Uh, and then ultimately, listen to that feedback that advisor gives you. And if you're with the right advisor, they're going to be able to deliver a strategy that is consistent with not only your beliefs, but the way that you want the risk in your portfolio to be perceived, as well as uh, ultimately a portfolio that's aligned for long-term success. Mm-hmm. And do you think this is something that a beginner could learn to do on their own? Could they do some research and figure out how to make wise investment decisions, or is this something really better left to an expert? I think it is complex. I would always advise working with an advisor. As advisors, we do have an expertise in making sure that a portfolio is diversified, making sure that we're perceiving risk tolerance correctly and that we're executing the risk tolerance within a portfolio. I think the Internet's a great source of information uh, on the index, and I think it would certainly help inform consumers about how the index works and and, uh, the metrics and the ratings. But I think ultimately before I would implement a strategy, I would make sure that I'm working hand-in-hand with an advisor so that I can as a consumer, control my risk to a certain degree and at least understand where the risks are. Right. Right. Like, well, yeah, what we really try to do is we try to, you know, take on the least amount of risk and still give an investor the potential for the amount of return they need to reach their long-term goals. And so, yes, you know, it's, it's some, anyone could probably throw together some companies and call it a portfolio, but really to do it in the most efficient, efficient and effective way possible, it's really valuable to have someone who does this every day, all day essentially, and is monitoring it over time. Yeah. And I would imagine that trust is really a very, very important part of this. I mean, obviously, if you're going to trust the word of somebody, you want to make sure that they know what they're doing. Are there some industry standards or some licensing or some telltales about how to find someone that you can trust right off the bat to give you good recommendations? You know, there are industry standards. I I think someone's best instincts are probably going to be what serves them well or serves them the best. 
uh, being able to sit down with an advisor, make sure that the communication is clear, making sure that the advisor is talking uh, on the consumer's level and that ultimately the consumer is comfortable with the advisor. I think those are the things I'd look for first and foremost. That sounds like a reasonable approach. So talk about today. Uh, the economy is doing better is this a good time to get back in the market? I mean, I saw several of my friends uh, lose a tremendous amount of money in the stock market when the recession began. And so I was feeling a little bit gun shy, frankly. But what's the reality today? I mean, is this really a good time to get back into it and to consider developing a portfolio? I think that ultimately would speak more to a client's risk tolerance and goals and objectives. When we're managing portfolios for clients, providing them with advice and counsel. We're doing so within the context of a financial plan. So it really depends on what the output the client ultimately needs. You know, what is it they're trying to work toward in that financial plan? And then we're able to figure out where in the market would be, uh, what market first would be the right price to go, and then where in the market would you want to deploy money, uh, how much, you know, what type of asset allocation are you going to use. Uh, there's always opportunity somewhere in the market, but basically it's it's a very customized process. We want to make sure that clients are in the right area in the market for their risk tolerance and ultimately to achieve their particular goals and objectives. And I would imagine that one very important factor is how long of an investment do you want to make? For example, if you're looking at putting together something to support you in retirement 20 to 25 years from now, that's going to look very different than an investment that you want to draw upon in in the short term, five or 10 years from now, right? Yep, absolutely. What we do is we really would look at when the goal needs to take place, what the amount, what an individual is doing today, what they want in the future, and we factor in, you know, other things like expectations for inflation, and we really come up with a plan for them that really makes sense in the long run. And yes, the investment strategy is absolutely going to reflect what that time frame is. That's one of the key considerations, I would argue. All really, really great advice. We've been talking with Jennifer Gibson and Brian McKinnon from Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Thank you both so much for lending us your expertise and for spending time with us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Greg. We're going to take a quick music break. Here's Sam Smith with Lay Me Down. One day I will be where I was Right there, right next to you And it's hard, the days just seem so dark The moon and the stars And nothing without you Your touch, your skin where do I begin? No words can explain the way I'm missing you Deny this emptiness, this hole that I'm inside These tears, they tell their own story Told me not to cry when you were gone But the feeling's overwhelming, it's much too Can I lay by your side Next to you You And make sure you're alright I'll take care of you Not
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, there have been a lot of books written with coming out stories, but a new one titled Out Proud Stories of Pride, Courage, and Social Justice tells much more. Here to talk with us now about this new book is the editor, Douglas Goss, and one of the contributing authors, Shannon Webb Campbell. Doug and Shannon, welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. Oh, thank you very much, Greg. Thank you. Dr. Goss, let's start with you, and before we get into the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you motivated to write this book? I'm from Newfoundland originally. I live in Ontario now in Toronto. I'm a uh, full professor at Nipissing University in the Schulich School of Education. My academic field and my drive in life is social justice and cultural studies, so I do a lot of research over the years and community work. regarding different aspects of social justice, uh, including LGBTQ uh, realities. Well, I first saw this new book, Out Proud, uh, this last summer at World Pride in Toronto. And I know there have been a lot of books written about coming out with coming out stories. Talk about how this particular book is different. Well, um, I knew uh, when I discussed uh, the book proposal with the uh, CEO of Breakwater Publishing, Rebecca Rose, that there had been a lot of books on coming out, and of course many of us have read them, and I I wanted, along with Rebecca, to do something a little different. So uh, we really want to look at not just sexual orientation, but overlaps with race, class, gender, disability urban and rural living and language and culture since uh, in Canada as in the United States it's so multicultural. Uh, So I believe we brought something new to the table and new insights on the realities that many of us face because we're not only gay, lesbian or transgender, many of us have uh, disabilities, many of us are from blue-collar backgrounds, etc. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, and that's a, I think that's an aspect of the community that we don't often discuss about how those different identities intersect and collide oftentimes. Exactly. And from uh, my viewpoint as a, a sociologist, we all drift in and out of privilege depending on where we are, who we're with. And uh, I really want to highlight that in the anthology that, for example, uh, being white and middle class or above has its realities, being uh, a visible minority and blue collar, etc., also has its realities. For sure. So there are a lot of stories packed into this book, and you have a lot of different people that have contributed. Talk about some of the authors that stood out to you, uh, and and some of the stories that really got you. Yeah, there's 54 uh, essays uh, in total. Some of them are, are co-written, co-authored. Um, And I'm filtering this through my own personal preferences. Uh, One of them that stuck out for me, and we had a launch in Toronto just last week, was Lori Townsend's story. And she's an elementary teacher in Toronto. And having been a teacher myself at the elementary and secondary level for many years, uh, I just found it uh, refreshing genuine, uh, very moving. It it gave me chills to hear her read it at the launch. And it narrates how she came out to her uh, grade seven students and what an empowering process that was, not just for her, but especially for her students, that they could have a frank discussion and lay things on the table. Because often as as educators, as as teachers, it's still a, a very taboo topic. And I admire her courage and her sensitivity and in uh, how that naturally came about this conversation with her pupils. Mm -hmm. So that was one. Another one that really hit me is from our most senior uh, author. His name is Kim Chi Lee. He's a Eurasian man uh, living in Toronto, originally from Manitoba. He's 82 years old. And he talks about visiting a, a friend of his in an old age home. And the man was put on the bottom of the list to get his bath, uh, apparently because he was a, a, an old gay man. And he talks about 
getting older and and confronting that sort of discrimination uh, for older people, which again in in the LGBTQ community we don't often hear about. So those are those are two of uh, the ones that stick out for me. But there's so many more. Our youngest author is 17 uh, from uh, Montreal, and uh, he articulates as well and uh, showing gender variance as a young boy and how as a teenager he was able to uh, form a network of, of friends and, and really bond with his family um, while uh, uh, confronting the challenges of, of bullying and, and prejudice and, and really coming out with a, uh, with a positive outlook on life. And his, uh, his story is entitled Learning to Be Me and his name is Jamie B. Laurie. Hmm. Sounds amazing. Now, in the book, you talk about there being so much more vital work to be done. And I know, at least in my, from my perspective, it seems like Canada is so far ahead of where we are here in the U.S. in terms of its acceptance of LGBT people and, and overall civil rights for LGBT people. From your perspective, where do we still need to go? There's still so much that needs to be done. And as a professor... Um, uh, I've organized seminars for uh, students on campus regarding uh, LGBTQ realities and how they intersect with racism and classism and so forth. And sometimes I get backlash or a lack of uh, acceptance or, or vital discussion from some of the kids who are themselves gay or lesbian, ironically, and they'll say, well, I didn't experience that. But the reality is so many children still, and adults too, who are growing up, particularly in rural areas, do encounter horrendous discrimination. Um, in, in certain legal ways, we are uh, making advances in Canada. We're protected under the Canadian Human Rights Code and the Provincial Human Rights Codes. We're able to marry, uh, but in people's daily lives, from neighbors, from family members, uh, broader community, there's still a lot of prejudice and, and acts of discrimination and uh, on every level. And of course, transgender people, uh, there's been a lot of talk in academe, uh, there's been more public awareness, but that's one group that sticks out for me, uh, where we need to do uh, a lot more talk and ensure that these people have voice and that we can accept gender variants uh, more readily in Canada and the United States and beyond. Mm -hmm. I think you bring up a couple of really good points, things that we're facing here in the U.S. as well. And we've had conversation on this show about the challenges that our aging LGBT community is facing. You know, you alluded to the one story about the gentleman in the care home who was discriminated against and, and that's a real fear for aging LGBT folks here, too, is, is having to go back into the closet when they go into an assisted living facility. Indeed it is. And, you know, I, we've, I've had conversations with friends of mine, and we kind of jokingly said, you know, when we retire, maybe we'll get a complex in, in Florida and live together and, and take each other to medical appointments and, and that type of thing. And it's half joking because it's on all of our minds, particularly those of us who do not have partners. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, many LGBTQ people today uh, don't have the same support from their families. More and more do have children and extended family, but uh, of course, many um, are not in that particular situation where there's a support network uh, readily available. Right. Now, for any people who are aging, but there's certain uh, distinct challenges for the LGBTQ community. Right, right. So for young readers, young aspiring activists, what do you hope they will get from this book and do with the information they read? I really hope, and this was one of the goals of the anthology, um, that we would inspire people and create uh, a sense of optimism. And that's why it's entitled Out Proud, Stories of Pride, Courage, and Social Justice. Every single author in the story, and many of them are young in the, in the 17 to 30 age group, or they talk about when they were uh, youths, um, 
they really show how they've been able to overcome uh, a lot of prejudice and, and discrimination and, and also how they're able to forge uh, supportive networks uh, and, and get inspiration from community uh, centers, from uh, being in the, the neighborhood or the village uh, with their straight friends, more and more are, are finding acceptance, not just tolerance, but acceptance within uh, heterosexual communities. So, um, and particularly I find for people who are living in uh, rural areas where they might not have as many resources, it shows that there's hope, that there's optimism, and that many people can confront similar obstacles and... Uh, uh, surpass them as best as they can. Great. Shannon, let's shift over to you now. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm currently doing my master's in creative writing through the University of British Columbia, uh, their optional residency program. I've been writing for 10 years. I've been a freelance journalist for most of that time and have just started writing more poetry and fiction and as well as personal essays which is how I found myself in Out Proud, Stories of Pride, Courage, and Social Justice. Fantastic. And your story is called A Courtesy to Handsome Butches, Boys, and Trans Guys. Tell us about that. Well, this one is a little bit of a love letter uh, to certainly a few old lovers combined, I think, into one. Um, It was a bit of a nod to Ivan Coyote's uh, Hats Off to Beautiful Femme. I recall reading that and feeling quite touched and seen. And in response, one my own, I guess, knowing wink to, to a few old loves. Mm-hmm. So talk about life in Canada for you. What's it been like and what significant changes have you experienced? Um, well, I grew up outside of Toronto, but I spent a lot of time living in uh, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia and certainly came out in Halifax. Uh, I have noticed that you know, these are small communities, St. John's and Halifax. They are much more LBGT friendly. Uh, I recall walking in the St. John's parade a couple of years ago and, and just even the fact there wasn't a parade 10 years ago in St. John's. In Halifax, I feel like it's a very queer, friendly space. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was uh, always been kind of the incubator for most things, for my creativity and certainly my sexuality. And from your perspective, then, with as far as we've come, and I've mentioned before, I think Canada is so far ahead of the U.S. uh, around Mm -hmm. LGBT issues. Why are books like Out Proud still so relevant today? Well, I don't think that the work is finished. We've come a long way. Um, But I think that we still need a literature. We need need to hear our stories. We need need to see ourselves in print uh, and certainly make... Uh, a map for the next generation mm-hmm. so they can do the same. Mm-hmm. And so in Canada, what are some of the challenges that you see that the LGBT community is still facing? Uh, specifically in Canada, I think that um, we're still, you know, we still have a lot of work to do around trans rights. And certainly, um, you know, I think the gender binary is still very loud and clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say that I think Canada has come a long way. I feel, I feel like particularly living in Eastern Canada, we are a little bit more traditional than, say, the West Coast or even Toronto. Mm-hmm. But I think that in Newfoundland and in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island, um, I think we're slowly moving towards being a bit more progressive than, like, Vancouver and Toronto. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think genders continues to be a big challenge for us here in the U.S. as well. I mean, clearly the trans community has a much more difficult time uh, being understood and accepted than uh, sexual orientation communities do, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this book is going to appeal a lot, to, particularly to young readers, um, and hopefully those who are interested in getting involved in social justice and activism. What advice would you give a young person who is looking to become involved to create some change? My advice would be, be fierce, be brave, um, go boldly into whatever it is is pulling you or calling to you that you feel that you need to put out in the world, because we, we need your voice too. Yeah, and that, that's an important piece, isn't it? I mean, well, there have been a lot of people who have done a lot of groundbreaking work, 
Uh, but we need young people to step up and step into their, that place and continue the work. Uh, Dr. Goss, getting back to you, we've got just a few minutes left. Tell us where people can go to learn more about the new book, Out Proud. Out Proud is online. It's in. Uh, it's nationally distributed uh, in Canada, and of course, it's on um, different uh, online media such as Amazon. So, if they Google the title Out Proud: Stories of Pride, Courage, and Social Justice, they'll certainly be able to find numerous links where they can order the book. Fantastic! And we will put a link on our own website at outbeatnews.com. You can just go there, and we'll at least have a link to Amazon where you can go and find the book. We've been talking with Douglas Goss, who is the editor, and I'm going to say author, because you did all the work in putting this together, and Shannon Webb Campbell, who contributed her story to this new book, Out Proud, Stories of Pride, Courage, and Social Justice. Thanks so much for spending some time with us tonight. My pleasure, Greg. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. And that brings us to the end of our hour. My very special thanks to our guest tonight, Johnny Scandros from Scruff, Jennifer Gibson, and Brian McKinnon from... Morgan Stanley Wealth Management, and Dr. Douglas Goss and Shannon Webb Campbell, authors of the new book, Out Proud. Don't forget to download the new KRCB app. You'll find it available for your Apple iPhone and Android device. You can listen to KRCB anywhere in the world that has internet access. The app is free and available on the Apple and Android stores. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia, exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at outbeatnews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.